if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. 216-901-0945. Before we get started this morning, I do I should probably give um, a disclaimer or two. I know we're going to be uh, talking about a variety of topics that you want to call in, but there is one I know that will be at the top of the list, and that with um, what happened with Donald Trump in the past 24 hours. So I know that that will be something that um, that we will get to, and I want to get your thoughts on. I want to hear what you have to say about it. I I have a few, few thoughts about it. Um, we're also going to talk about a proposal in Ohio, the 60% supermajority proposal, uh, something that's been discussed, debated, that's appeared, then went away, and what's happening with that, how it is. It seems like there's um, a lot of folks uh, that are for it, some that are against it, and it seems like it's drawn a line down different political spectrums, if you will. I do want to give this disclaimer before we get into the 60% supermajority discussion. I, when I talked with Bob, when he called me yesterday, um, we talked about being on the show today, and he asked, and I graciously accepted any time that he calls and, and um invites if i'm able to do it i always want to take advantage of that opportunity it's always an honor to talk to his listeners and sit in this chair for him but we talked about the 60 percent supermajority, and i let him know you know he and i may not be on the same page when it comes to that we may not be in agreement so i i just wanted to be clear with him uh the angle that i was coming and he knew that so the full disclaimer is is that anything that is said over the airwaves into this microphone today is not a reflection of the position of Bob France 
or Always Right Radio. Um, so I just want to put that out there. But kudos to Bob and thanks to Bob for allowing me to sit in the chair, even though he knows that my position on that particular opinion is going to be one that would be opposite uh, of of what what he would bring. So, um, but it is Bob's show, and in typical um, Always Right Radio fashion, we will start this morning with the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, The Rock, getting us started this morning with our pledge. Um, again, we want to hear from you on this free for all Friday, 216 uh, Over the last 24 hours, we know what the grand jury did with Donald Trump. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I'll give you mine briefly. Um, the first being, and I don't think this has changed through the years, Donald Trump sure loves himself some Donald Trump. Um, he, if, if he can be about the story, he's going to be about the story. And he is, he's always had a way of being the bully, but yet still playing the victim. And in this instance, as I, you know, I know everything hasn't been opened and unsealed and we haven't had a great look inside the box, if you will, on what's been done, but I haven't seen a legal opinion from people on the right or the left that think that a conviction is imminent when the when the trial does begin. So, and when it comes to a grand jury, remember, a grand jury uh, basically it's one side of the evidence being presented, number 1. And number 2, a grand jury is so well, it, it kind of is what we are in the United States today. It just relies on emotion. You can use so much emotion to dare I say, manipulate the situation and get done what you want. And that, you know, some are saying, hey, that is what happened in this situation. That's what happened. I know there's going to be, there's a lot of speculation about what will take place as it relates to will their New York attempt for extradition? Will they send folks to get them? Will they want Florida? I know uh, Governor DeSantis is not a big fan of, the thought of sending Donald Trump back um, to New York for what he says. I mean, Donald Trump has Secret Service protection. How's that standoff going to look? I mean, how, how how is that going to play out? But the one thing I think this highlights and says and shows is that the left is far more addicted to Donald Trump than the right is. The left loves them some Donald Trump as well. Why? Because they need him. They need him for ratings on their television programs. They need him. They need him to be one that um, is on the ballot that they can run against. They need him to be a bad guy. That's what they need. They they need that that to happen. So. Um, that's where I am. I want to know where all of you are. 216 901 
We're going to go to the phone lines this morning. We're going to go to John on line two. John, good morning. Yes, good morning, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for the call. Hello. Yep. You're there. You got us? Hello. John, are you there? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Good morning. Good morning, yes. I'm uh, John Stover, president uh, with Ohio Value Voters, and didn't know when you were going to be uh, uh, discussing the 60%, but certainly uh, wanted to this call and give you the latest update that uh, occurred yesterday. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the fact that uh, Jason Stevens, um, uh, with the power he has as speaker, he decided to remove Scott Wiggum from the uh, committee he chairs. That uh, is uh, the committee in which uh, House Joint Resolution 1 was placed in the committee. And uh, just so happened that uh, there was a discharge petition the day before, I understand, that uh, was initiated by another state rep, and Jason Stevens is not happy with that discharge petition. No, he's not happy. And it, could the reason be he's not happy that Scott Wiggum has chaired the committee that for six weeks has sat on HJR1, and they've only had one committee hearing, and that being sponsored That's, testimony? And so they w- tried to go around the committee process. And the way that, well, would, that could be. The, the way that, that would be. the way that would work. Would would be they were going to go around the committee process of getting it to the floor. All they had to do was pass it out of committee and send it to the floor, and I think that would that would have put the pressure on the speaker then to do what he was going to do. But they wanted to subvert that process of the people and go straight to trying to get fifty one signatures to get it on the floor. So that's the thing. There's a process in place to make it happen. And John, I'm sure you and I are on opposite sides of the sixty percent supermajority proposal, I think it would be terrible for Ohio for a variety of reasons, and I think it would take the power away from the citizens and the people. And later in the show, if you want to call back in and we can have that discussion and you can um, come with all the talking points, I'd be happy to entertain and listen to them. I just don't see how creating this, the way that, that it's attempted to being done in Ohio, is good for the people in this state, we have access to our constitution to make changes, and I think this is going to make it much more difficult. Well, if, if you would like, uh, what time would you like me to call back in? Because uh, I have further uh, comments to make regarding Scott Wiggum and uh, what I know. But um, yeah, well, if you want to make a few of those now, feel free. The thing, um, and again, I'm not here to defend the speaker. I'm not here to defend Scott or bash Scott or anything like that, Representative Wiggum. I'm just here. To I want everyone to understand the process. And I think one thing, and we're going to get into this later today, that I don't think folks understand is when it comes to the Ohio Constitution and what that looks like, there's a lot of other questions that are going to need to be answered. And the unfortunate part, John, is they're going to be answered through the court when it comes to the heartbeat bill and when it comes to the heartbeat bill and how that lines up with the Ohio Health Care Freedom Amendment. And the language that Ohioans put in the Constitution in 2011 may, in fact, contradict the, the, the legislation that was passed by the General Assembly in regards to the heartbeat bill. And we have to look no further than Wyoming. I don't know if you've seen what's happened there in the past week um, in regards to the life issue and language they have in their Constitution. So I think this is a much bigger deal than people understand, especially when it comes to the issue of life. 
Well, regarding uh, Representative Scott Wiggins, I understand that uh, he's interested in uh, appearing on Bob Fred's show Monday, Tuesday to actually cover some of the things that uh, are, are outside of the uh, letter from uh, Speaker Stevens in dismissing Representative uh, Wiggins from his committee. You know, but when you look at the uh, timetable, uh, you know, we can discuss the timetable of the speaker. Uh, you know, he uh, was down uh, in Florida January 17th, 18th, uh, with a fundraiser that should have been calling sessions together to get that uh, House Joint Resolution the, passed prior to February 1st, which didn't happen, Rob. Well, that's that's one of the things that... Uh, no, 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 no. Hang on, John. Hang, 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 hang on. Hang on. I just want to... No, no. You're saying that it needed to be done by February 1st to be on the May ballot. That, that's, that's exactly right. And, and that's where I'm going to come and say, no, why do Ohioans need to vote on a constitutional amendment in the spring of an off-off election year? How is that good? How does that benefit everyone when a small percentage of the people are going to have a say in amending the Constitution? If we want to amend the Constitution, the only time it should be done is in the fall of even-numbered years number one. Number two, the people that want to see it done for the 60%, you know who would drool about it and be happy about it would be the gambling industry because their language would be locked in there forever. It would be locked in there forever. Getting on the ballot to amend the Constitution is not an easy task, and anyone that's ever done that understands how difficult a proposal that can be. So the thought that people are saying it's easy to get on the ballot and amend the Constitution, I adamantly disagree an experience of, of doing the work at the American Policy Roundtable can stand behind that. Well, I'm, I, I would say this regarding the Ohio Roundtable. It's uh, an organization I have followed, been involved in politics since 1980. So I know all about your organization, and we're 99.9% there with you on just about everything that you've gotten behind. But speaking of gambling, if uh, the 60% threshold, as you well know, Rob, had been in place, uh, the uh, gambling amendment in 2009 would have failed. You know what, John? Uh, You're right. Hang on. You're right. Let me respond to that. You're right. It would have failed. And guess what? That doesn't change my mind. If they were willing to go out and get 400 and some odd thousand signatures, here's the difference. I don't think the Constitution in the state of Ohio is bigger than one issue. They were able to go out and get 400 and some odd thousand signatures, and Ohioans fell for a trap and put terrible language in the Ohio Constitution that gives a monopoly to a couple of uh, gambling interests, I think that's awful. I think that's terrible. But the thought Absolutely. of saying, well, if you would have made it 60%, why not make it 70% or 80%? Why not take the power from the people altogether and just give it to the lawmakers? The folks that want to well, increase well, me, this well, to Rob, 60% well, trust lawmakers far more than I do. Well, Rob, let me ask you this question, because I hope that this is one thing that we can agree on, is that you know you mentioned about uh, taking uh, power from the people, et cetera. You know, certainly I don't believe it's appropriate for one individual who happens to be the Speaker of the House to uh, have the ultimate authority and power to keep an initiative of this question, whether it's in May or it's in August or it's in November, should have the power to keep that initiative and question off the ballot and let the people decide. I think I think you would agree that people have a right to vote upon a constitutional question like this, but at this point in time... I, John, I, I do agree. If you can get 60% of the state reps in Ohio to put it on the ballot and uh, 20 of the state senators, we're, we would have that opportunity. The problem is 
the dysfunctionality in Columbus between the Republicans can't get any of it done. That's well, the, well, that's unfortunately the that that's unfortunately in the House. The bottom well, line. Republicans in, a, in a, well, Republicans in the House, uh, the Senate, I wouldn't say dysfunctional, but uh, Republicans in the House because we have three caucuses, and uh, you know we we still don't know one hundred percent what all the deals were that were made between Jason Stevens and uh, Alison Russo, the Democrat leader. So at this point in time, we do know one, and it certainly appears that uh, Jason Stevens, as Speaker, is doing everything he possibly can to see to it that the people don't have a right to vote on this question. It didn't happen prior to February. It didn't happen back in prior to the November election last uh, year. John, so, John, can I ask you a question? Sure. You, are you for putting this on an August ballot when there would be roughly 10% of people from the state of Ohio that would participate in that election? Do you think Ohio would operate at its best with 10% of the people having a say in what they do? And if you say, if the answer is yes, would you be in favor of the same thing if the Democrats had a proposal, if they were in power, putting it on an August ballot? Well, let me let me say this, Rob. Uh, if and I know you uh, no doubt heard the, uh, I believe it's the 60-second commercial by Molly Smith of Ohio uh, Right to Life and uh, Right to Life Action Coalition, which is affiliate of ours that we work with closely. But uh, in hearing uh, everything that this uh, constitutional amendment that would potentially pass with 50% plus one, uh, yes, in this situation I would. Well, it, it, we would disagree there. I'm uh, Again, I would consider myself... Um, is pro-life is I don't know what, what disclaimers need to go with that, but um, the Constitution of the state of Ohio, the thought that we're going to make one issue bigger than that, that at all times. Number one, I, I I think we need to take a look at that. Number two, John, I really think you need to take a look at the Wyoming case when it comes to language and law. I think you need to take a look at the words of the Ohio Health Care Amendment that was passed in 2011, because if that 60 percent would pass in the court's rule regarding the purchase or sale of health care when it comes to the Ohio Constitution, I think there would be big, big issues that would come into play. So thank you for taking well, Rob, the time. Well, well, Rob, I understand what you're saying, but uh, you know, we're, we're looking at a situation that's uh, uh, def- definitely at our uh, doorstep right, relative well, to it, Planned Parenthood and their affiliates. Well, and I understand what you're saying down the road. No, not down the road, John. It's in- potentially that could, that could very well no. happen. But No, 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 John, you misunderstood me. Right now. You misunderstood me, John. That language is in the Constitution now on the purchase and sale of health care. We're going to get into it later today. We're going to get into that, the purchase and the sale of health care. If the courts rule that abortion is health care, it's going to take 60% then to get that out of the Ohio Constitution. I don't think we'll ever get to that threshold, unfortunately. I think in the state of Ohio, we can win the pro-life argument with 50% of the vote. I think we can win against the amendment that they're proposing. I think 50 years of Roe v. Wade, people are fired up enough to say, hey, you know what? We're going to stand on the issue of life. And if we can't get 50% plus one in the state of Ohio to do that, we've got bigger issues, my friend. Bigger issues. Thank you so much for the call. Rob, I appreciate the time, and uh, we can agree to disagree here. Well, I look forward to talking. Thank you, John. You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. 
Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Welcome back. Always Right Radio. Rob Walgate in the chair this morning for Bob France. We had an action-packed first hour. Huge thanks to Mike Curtin for joining and giving a history lesson when it comes to Ohio Constitution. I think that's what we're missing so much today is everything is in 30-second, 60-second sound bites. Everything relies on emotion. That, you know, when you think about what you hear, what you see on television, it's all emotional. We it The Trump indictment, emo- after this break, we're going to go to break. After the break, we're coming back to the phone lines. 6901-0945, free for all Friday. We want to hear from you. You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Walgate in the chair for Bob France. Always right radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Want to hear from you, 216-901-0945. We have a couple phone lines open. Would love to take your calls, hear what you have to say. 60% supermajority in Ohio. Grand jury, Donald Trump. Maybe there's this beautiful Ohio weather. Maybe there's something else you want to talk about on this free-for-all Friday. You heard earlier in the show me get into, and I'm going to talk about this after the bottom of the hour news, is an issue that has popped up in Wyoming. And it deals with a pro-life law that the legislature passed. Life is a Human Right Act. It was passed um, by the Wyoming legislature. Now, what's coming into play and where worlds are colliding um, is Wyoming. I think the correct word for Wyoming residents is Wyomingites. Wyomingites? Is that right? Yeah, I guess that's what they call themselves. Wyomingites? Here we go. Wyomingites voted into law, into their constitution, that they have a fundamental right to make their own health care decisions. So they put that in their constitution. Wyoming citizens have a fundamental right to make their own health care decisions. But the Wyoming legislature passed a law that says life is a human right. They passed that law 10 years later, and they're saying that abortion is not health care. So worlds are colliding because some are saying, wait a minute, in 2012 as Wyoming residents, citizens, they passed a law that says they have a fundamental right to make their own health care decisions. The legislature, the General Assembly, can't trump state constitution. Okay? Now, we're going to run into that same issue in Ohio because we have the heartbeat bill, 
that was passed, and it came into effect after the Dobbs decision, the Supreme Court decision. And we know what the heartbeat bill says. Currently, the status of the heartbeat bill. There was a judge that issued a stay on the law that has been appealed to the a stay on the law while the case is being heard in the Hamilton County Common Police Court. The AG, Dave Yost, filed an appeal with the Ohio Supreme Court saying, hey, the law should be in effect while the merits of the case are being argued. So the Supreme Court is going to hear in Ohio the fact that they want the law to be upheld while the merits of the case are being debated through the courts. I know this sounds confusing. I know it can be a bit chaotic. The other side is using the argument that the Ohio Constitution protects already the right for people to have an abortion. You're saying, what? How would the Ohio Constitution do that? After the break, I'm going to tell you and read you the argument that those folks are using to say that right now they have the constitutional right to an abortion in the state of Ohio because of language Ohioans voted in the Ohio Constitution. That's after the break. You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Keeping you informed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Welcome back. Always Right Radio. Rob Walgate in the chair for Bob France and Josh killing it with the bumper music today. Love it. Spinning tunes all weekend. Where? <laughs> Let's talk. 216-901-0945. Free for all Friday. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind. I know I'm getting a ton of text messages regarding... Trump, the grand jury, Ron DeSantis, will the governor um, cooperate? Will there be a standoff with Secret Service agents and people that want to take them back to New York? I mean, I'm sure, Josh, I'm sure that Donald Trump will just go quietly. Whatever they ask him to do, he will will just do. I mean, he he always seems to go with the flow. I mean, he's such an easygoing, mellow individual that I'm sure that'll take place and happen. Um, so much to, coming up with what lies ahead with the possible uh, primaries. Everyone's asking for speculation. I mean, we're eight, ten months out from the first primary occurring. I know we have a ways to go. What do we have? The first debate in August, I believe. I wonder if it'll be like last time. You know, you had it was like Thanksgiving, the kids' table and the adult table at Thanksgiving. You had the debate and the pre-debate, and I don't know. Uh, I just know the more people that are in the race, the better chance Donald Trump has to be the nominee. There's no doubt about that. So if they want to take him out, it's going to be a, it's going to be a one v one race. So that that's how it looks. Um, we're going to go back to the phone lines two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. We're going to go to BJ in North Olmstead. Good morning, BJ. Welcome to the show. All right. Hi. Uh, in regards to what's taken with Donald Trump is going to be an awakening for the American people because it is the government that is doing this. He's got to be aware of the banking system and George Soros that's sponsoring a lot of this contempt for Donald Trump. And it is going to be an awakening for America. The American public is going to have to make a decision 
of if they want to be in charge of government, they have to become more involved in what's going on. During the term that Donald Trump was president, it was one of the best. In, I'm 92 years old. It was one of the best times that the country has experienced in a long, long time. Donald Trump was a businessman, and they, politicians do not like a thinking man that comes up with solutions. They like to control him. They could not control Donald Trump. That's a major issue. May I share one more thing with you? BJ, please do. At 92, you've got the floor for a few more minutes for sure. i got to listen to this experience. Uh, if people have Roco, they can go on and see a movie called Connected. They will see Basil on television. I play the grandfather in that movie. Connected is the movie was done by Michael Eric on Rocco. Back to Donald Trump again. We are going to see in the next 60 days an explosion because the Republican Party has lost its testicles. And until they find them, the Communist Party in this country are going to try and push forward more than they ever had. Come... May and June of this year, there will be a major explosion as a result of what they're trying to do to Donald Trump. All right, BJ, let me gather myself for a second. I do have a I have a question for you. Hang on. Um, All right. You know, you talked about, I, I agree with you. I think people fell in love, right or wrong, with Donald Trump in 2015, then leading into the 2016 election because he wasn't a politician. He was an outsider that was going to be the bull in the china shop and just knock things over. You look at what he did with tax policy. You look at um, the nominations that turned into Supreme Court justices. You look at so many things he's done. Um, now, he did spend like a drunken sailor with apologies to drunken sailors because they stopped spending when they run out of money. Trump did spend at a high level, but he did a lot of good things, and I think people look at that. But I think there's a lot of folks that are saying, yes, he did those things, but his time has come and gone. He wants to be a brand that stays forever, and that's not realistic, and that's not good for the country. What say you to those folks that say his time has come, let someone else step up and carry that mantle into the next cycle? His time is coming because one thing that Donald Trump had the ability to do was see the solutions. He didn't waste time with the problems. He went for the solutions. He didn't talk about what, what, the, what, what the problems were. He went for the solutions and told the public what the solutions should be. And he was correct with those. There's a lot of people that have disdain for Donald Trump, but there's but, a but, lot of people that have, yeah, have disdain for this country. There, there, there are. But I also think the discussion that needs to go into 2024, and I come at this from an independent perspective. I'm not a registered Republican or Democrat. Um, but it, it, it's safe to know which way I lean on the issues of the day and maybe not lean. Some would say fall over on those issues of the day. Um, and May go, I make one more go point? to that side. Yeah. I have a question for you though. As, as, yeah. it, as, as it pertains to that, Donald Trump, the candidate, if he debated each himself, wouldn't he call himself a loser for not winning the 2020 election? I, I look at the map of the United States and my question is what state is he going to win in 2024, that he wasn't able to win in 2020. How is that going to happen? I think Donald Trump is more of a catalyst. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's important to him anymore whether he is the president or not. I think what's important to him is waking up the American public that they have to become involved and can't let these politicians control their life. 
Socialism is trying to take over this country. They have to shut down America to make it a one-world government that George, I guess it was Bush, that predicted that he was looking for, the senior, Bush senior. One-world government. When he made that statement, that was many years ago, I was aware that he was talking about shutting down America and becoming a global globalist-controlled well, country. BJ, if, if I may, though, you mentioned Trump and the betterment of the country. Here's my, here, here's where a lot of people take issue is the fact he refuses to get out of the way or help anyone that seems to get close to him in popularity or in media discussion. He wants everyone to stay below him. So the thought of someone else being president, he doesn't like that idea. He doesn't like the thought of anyone else having that attention. At least his behavior has displayed that tremendously. Um, so my question is, do you think there's a time when Donald Trump will put country over Donald Trump? Because up to this point, I can't point to too many examples where he has said, I'm willing to make that personal sacrifice and do something for the betterment of the country and get out of the way and let someone else try and lead. I think Donald Trump is doing that currently. It, it, people just don't like the way he's doing it. No, no, no. I think we would like to see a young, younger man in office. Who? I think we would like who, to see who? more younger people involved. B, BJ, I don't know who he, who does he support or who is he willing to help lift up. He's willing to do that until they get gain and rise in popularity. I mean, just if... It, just, it, just the fact that you're raising these issues shows you how Donald Trump has stimulated your mind, whether you're for him or against him. And that's what his goal is. No, I I disagree. I disagree. He stimulated my mind. There's no doubt about that. I disagree that that's what his goal is. I think his goal is to be on every television station he can and to be president again. I think his goal is to be the most popular person in the world. I'm not saying he has bad policy ideas. I'm just saying Donald Trump loves him some Donald Trump. And I don't know when that goes away. I don't know who's still in his inner circle and that he's close to that he was eight years ago. It seems he's always pushing people away or cutting them off as soon as they do something to... Do you know any other person that's run for office that has stimulated and caused more anxiety and caused more uh, provocation of the public and what their thinking is than Donald Trump? Yeah, Hillary Clinton. She does the same thing, just in the opposite way. (laughs) Correct. <laughs> B, what, BJ. Donald Trump, what, what Donald Trump brought, though, was prosperity. Hillary Clinton did not bring prosperity. Oh, I'm not saying they had the same result, BJ. Please understand that. I'm not saying they had the same result. Oh, I, I, uh, I'm uh, not in disagreement with you. I, I appreciate your viewpoint, and I appreciate the strength that you... What's important is that you were... Oh, we lost him. We lost to be. Uh, we didn't cut you off. Just know that I was willing to listen. Had you been 42 and not 92, I may have hit the dump button, but I'm willing to be respectful and listen. I appreciate the perspective and the engagement. And wow, BJ's a sharp dude. I love when he calls. It's, it's, it, I always do. Um, so let's go to Tim and Chesterland online too. Ch- Tim, good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, I have two questions. First one has to do with the 87,000 IRS. Agents, and I use that word sparingly because of the way uh, Joe Biden wants to use them against us, and that the approval finally went through in the omnibus spending bill, what is it, about a month or so ago, and prior to that, several of our congressmen said that when 
if the uh, IRS agent thing was to come up as a separate issue, they would vote against it and they would not fund these characters. And now that this is in the Amnesty Bill, all the spending is in there to fund them. Can they still? Uh, can the Congress still not fund that that atrocity that Biden is trying to cast down our throats? Yeah, I don't. I don't see um, the end result of them bringing on those eighty-seven thousand. I think some of that has has went away. There's been a lot of talk and discussion about it, but I know it was in in that spending bill, but. I don't think it's going to happen in the way that it was initially portrayed. Um, and that's of concern, Tim. And here's why, you know, the line I heard, I, I apologize. I don't, I can't remember who said the line, but it's a great line and I use it often, but it's not an original line. Please know that. But they said middle, poor and middle class people pay the IRS. Rich people pay lawyers. That's right. That's the difference. Um, when it comes to that. So the IRS has an interest in targeting the middle class and the poor people that are behind because they know they're just going to pay the bill. The the rich people will have a big bill, but they'll just pay the lawyers to fight the bill and negotiate it down and it isn't worth the hassle. So um, the the IRS agents is one that's going to keep. And here's the thing about that as well, is that will be continual um, discussion. And now that, here's another reason why you've seen it go away. Now that the Republicans have the House and they are chairing the committees, there's a lot more important questions that are being asked on things such as this. So you'll have um, Congressman Jordan and others shining a flashlight on some of these things that they tried to do in the dark. So, Tim, thank you so much for the call. May I ask a second question? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Speaking of Congressman Jordan, uh, he's the the exception to what I have to say. But uh, most of the rest of those Republican congressmen down there are, are sitting there on their hands doing nothing to stop Joe Biden from continuing to tear our country apart. That guy has done more damage to our country in the short time he's been there than an all-out world war would have caused. And uh, one shot fired. And why, what can we do about these congressmen who refuse to do anything? I've heard it said that they they refuse to do anything more. They're just going to go along with it. Is that true? No, no, I don't think they're going along with it. Here's the thing is the Republicans hold the House. And that's all they hold, and there's nothing really they can do other than have committee hearings and block some attempts of legislation to uh, of what the Democrats are trying to do. If there's anything the Republicans should be thankful for, and I mentioned this before the 2022 election, the Republicans should be thankful they didn't win the Senate. They really should. Because if the Republicans had the House and the Senate right now, they could do nothing. Nothing at all because Joe Biden's the president. But they would get the blame for everything. People would say Republicans have the Senate, Republicans have the House, nothing's getting done. And people wouldn't connect the dots and say, yeah, Biden's president. All the commercials from the Democrats would be Republicans have the Senate. What have they done? Well, they've done nothing because the Democrats. This is why, here I'll give you another controversial take of the American Policy Roundtable and of Rob Walgate. I'm I'm not a fan of the filibuster. I think if you have control of the House... You have control of the Senate. You have control of the White House. You should be able to do whatever you want to do. I I think that's all you need. And the thought that you need 60 votes in the Senate to advance the discussion or advance the vote just baffles my mind. And I'll tell you why. Here's why, Tim. Because the Democrats had control of the Senate, the House, and the White House. 
There is no way that Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, and a handful of the other Democrats that aren't far-left extremists would have voted for a far-left agenda. And if they would have voted for that, if they would have voted for that, then they would have had to defend that vote come election time. They wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have done it. So I think it kind of backfired on on the Republicans that the filibuster was in place. I, I think I would be all in favor of getting rid of it. Now, I know there's people wrecking their cars. I know my mom's screaming at the radio right now, telling me I'm crazy um, as she listens, and she's saying, look at all the bad things that the left would do if that was the play. Yeah, they would. But guess what? They've got 50% of the Senate, plus they got the tie break. They've got 50% of the House, plus they've got the White House. Why shouldn't they have the ability to do the things that they want to do? After the break, we're going to get to more of your calls, 216-901-0945. Free for all Friday. Let's hear from you. You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome back. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Rob Walgate with you. Friday morning. Haven't spilled coffee yet, Josh. Give it time. Give it time. I just bumped my headset and everything went out in my ears. So, of course, I'm breaking stuff in here, but we'll make it work. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. Um, One thing we talked about, and again, it's free-for-all Friday, so interested in taking your calls, 216-901-0945. What do you want to talk about that we've hit on today? Elections of 2024, 60% supermajority in Ohio. Trump, I mean, I I just, I don't know what to expect with the whole Donald Trump thing. It's going to be something that people are going to be watching. And again, it's um, must-see TV for a lot of folks, and it's fired people up, and the left knows that, People are going to rally behind Donald Trump one way or the other. There's strong feelings um, about him, and they need him to be relevant. The left needs him to be relevant because I don't know what their backup plan is. Um, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, I, you know, Gavin Newsom. It's going to be interesting to watch this play out over the next 8, 10, 12 months. Um, but don't be distracted by everything that happens in Washington. So much is happening in our own backyard, both at the local level, county level, state level, things that we've hit on that are happening at the Ohio State House, the dysfunctionality of the Republicans in the Ohio House of Representatives. I'm not convinced anything's going to get done this year other than a state budget. Constitutionally, there's a provision it has to be done by the end of June. We pass a two-year budget, a biennial budget, and other than that, I'm not sure that they're going to agree on anything down there to get anything done. You think Republicans who are in control of everything by a supermajority margin could come together and make something happen. The problem is they don't even agree that today is Friday. I think right now if you had a caucus meeting down there of Republicans only, they would come to a disagreement about what day of the week it is. And... They would then go out and hold a press conference or send a tweet about it. 
That's the problem. They think this is the entertainment industry in so much of what they do. And I'm not one to scream and yell, you work for me, you serve us, blah, blah. No, I'm not going to scream that. But have a little humility and do your job and do it the right way. Don't make it about being an entertainer. Don't make it about having a talking point when you know that's not reality. Be honest and truthful with the constituents. Do the right thing. Just get the job done. I mentioned the constitutional provision that requires we have a balanced budget in the state of Ohio. Let's go back to the Ohio Constitution. And I talked earlier about how things are colliding and how the left in court documents is using the Ohio Constitution and language that was put in there by conservatives, not only by conservatives, by all of the state of Ohio in 2011. You remember that was right after Obamacare passed and states around the country were amending their state constitution to protect health care decisions of their citizens. And the Ohio Constitution reads, no federal, state, or local law or rule shall prohibit the purchase or sell sale. Let me try it again in English. No federal, state, or local law or rule shall prohibit the purchase or sale of health care or health insurance. No federal, state, or local law or rule shall prohibit the purchase or sale of health care. The left is arguing that saying you can't prohibit the purchase or sale of health care. I can buy health care I want, and they're saying health care is abortion. That's where the worlds are going to collide. That's where the argument's happening, and that's where the courts are going to take it. This is going to be interesting to watch play out. 216-901-0945. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome back. Rob Walker in the chair for Bob Frantz this morning. We've had a very active two hours of discussion. We're going to add to that right now. Joining us is the CEO of American Policy Roundtable, also known as my boss, Dave Zanotti. Good morning, Dave. Hi, Rob. It's a privilege to work with you. We both have the same boss, so I'm grateful for the opportunity to serve in the American mission with you. Well, thanks for taking the time to join us. We've had a very active discussion in the first two hours, and one of the things that we talk about that I know um, that you and I have worked on together and is near and dear to you because of your involvement with citizen-initiated petitions as it relates to the Ohio Constitution 
is the discussion in the state of Ohio of the 60% supermajority. Yeah, and I wasn't able to hear the full call that you had earlier with the one gentleman from uh, Value Votes, um, but it, it's it's problematic in this regard, Rob. Um, what right now some pro-life leaders are doing is they're making a bad priority decision and they're presenting it as a binary choice. You have A or B. You save 30,000 lives in Ohio a year or you don't. Well, that's that's ridiculous. That's a, that's a false choice. Um, the key is, yes, we all agree that life is the first right and life must be protected first and foremost. But the purpose of the Constitution is to secure that right to life. And so if you play fast and free with the Constitution, you're putting lives at risk. Now, here's specifically how it works. And it's a layered, nuanced argument. And I know this audience can get it. So it's not like people. It happened several years ago with that Ohio Health Freedom uh, Act. The language you read right before the break was bad language was put into the Constitution. That bad language was passed completely as a reaction to Obamacare without any thought toward the life issue. Now that bad language is a trap, and it's got to come out of the Constitution. If you pass the supermajority rule, you'll now need 60% vote to get that language out of the Constitution. Now, you say, okay, well, I guess, you know, which one comes first? Well, here's the problem. That language is going to be interpreted by the courts that health care is, in fact, abortion. Because there are times that health care is saving the life of the mother. It is a rare, rare instance. We all understand that. And, And thankfully, it's a rarer instance now than it's ever been. But when the right of self-defense and the life of mother comes into play in a tragic pregnancy that's gone wrong, then you can't deny that woman the right to health care and the right to self-defense. You can't do that. We never have in this state, and we shouldn't now. But that language opens the door that if it's not removed from the Constitution and the judge decides that abortion is health care, you could have abortion on demand for all nine months of pregnancy forever in Ohio, and now with a 60% supermajority, you could never get it out. But You but, could end up boomeranging this whole thing on yourself. Yes, and this is where the problem comes in, because when we talk about language, when we talk about the rule of law, that can be kind of boring stuff. That doesn't fit into a 15-second soundbite. That doesn't go into a fundraising email. That It's not easy to quantify. you got to study history. This is where the mistake is being made that we don't understand the history of it all and connect the dots. We're being emotional about what's right in front of us. You can't let that emotion take over. You've got to be strategic. Rob, the lawyers in Columbus know this. They are sitting back watching the pro-life community fall into a trap that they've made for themselves. And, And it takes humility to acknowledge that, okay, the language that was put in there needs to come out. It was fit for one purpose. The cha- things have changed. This is why words matter in the Constitution. You've got to be so very careful. And anybody that says that it's easy to get on the ballot has never been on the ballot. I can tell you it is one of the most difficult tasks of a lifetime to even imagine that someone could make it onto the Ohio ballot and then win a measure. Uh, until we did so with the three term limits and measures, Back in 1992, it had never been done before in a citizen initiative, three on, on one day. Never happened. Never well, happened. It, so we know how hard it is. 
And some folks, you know, you get the emails, I get the emails, we get the phone calls, people saying, I can't believe you guys are doing this. Don't you want to uh, protect, you know, and then they, they ramble on and tell us, you need to understand the position we're taking is one that we've took on principle through the years. We haven't changed on this position, number one. Number two, this isn't the easy position to take, and we understand that. We, we, we serve in a nonprofit. We understand how the money comes in in the easy, the fundraising position. The easier way would be to do it and to play on emotion. We're getting people calling and questioning us. This is the hard position to take, but it's the one based on the rule of law that we must take for the betterment of all Ohioans. Rob, we'll be held accountable for every word. Now, if anyone wants to challenge our pro-life credentials, they'll stand before God for that accusation. I'm not going to defend mine because I know what they are. So does my wife and so do my children. So th- that's, that, uh, that's not even a debate I'm going to have because I'm not challenging anyone else's pro-life credentials. We're challenging the efficacy of their strategy. We're already in a box because they put poor language in on the health care question that now we've got to get out or we're going to end up in abortion on demand based upon the courts. How silly is this? It took us 50 years to get the question of abortion away from unelected federal judges. Now these folks are going to throw us right back into the position where we are going to end up 50 more years in the state courts with the court judges. Now, at least they're elected in the state. But 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 we're going to have those judges who have to fight again for 50 years to get abortion back out of the courts and into the legislative process, our representatives, where it belongs. Well, Look, nobody meant to do this, but we have to be honest enough and admit the fact that we did it. And it's got to be changed. So this, and then the other thing, Rob, you can't put a constitutional amendment in an August um, in an August election and have any credibility at all that you're anything other than one more special interest group that'll take the shortest cut between A and B to get what you want. You can't be pragmatic with the Constitution; it's immoral. Well, and a lot of folks talk about special interest groups, and you spend time in Florida. We do is is um, the American Policy Roundtable and the work that we do in Central Florida and all over the state uh, with our radio program, The Public Square, Florida went to a 60% supermajority. Has yeah. that has that not just amplified special interest voice? No. What it's done with the 60% supermajority is now the only special interest is the legislature because they can put it on and don't have to go out and go through all that stuff. So they don't care. It's easy for them to throw something on the ballot. No skin off their nose. It's one more vote. But the people can't get there because the threshold is too high. In addition to this change, they're also going to make it more difficult to gain access to the ballot, and it already is almost near impossible in Ohio as it is. And, and, and then there's a philosophical reality. Our system is built upon simple majority because the framers believed Americans weren't stupid. That It didn't take 60% because, you know, the legislature only needs 50% to do business because they're the smart people, but the people who put them there, they're the stupid people, so we better make sure they have a 60%. It's an insult. It is an insult to the electorate that hires and, and employs the, the uh, elected representatives and votes them in the first place. I mean, it's completely wrong. It feels wrong. It smells wrong. It looks wrong. It is wrong. I, I talked to a member of the State House media in Columbus not long ago, and we were talking about the potential for the ballot issue on um, abortion with the language that's been submitted, and they're out gathering signatures, and we were talking about we ran the math kind of together, and we were talking through the math about how many signatures need to be collected per day for them to meet the early July deadline. And I said, I just don't think it's possible. It could happen. Don't get me wrong. 
The ACLU Planned Parenthood have unlimited resources. They'll spend tens of millions of dollars, but it's still going to be difficult to make the fall of 2023. They may. And this person ran the numbers with me, and they were in agreement and said, yeah, you're right, this is going to be tough. How come no one's talking about that, that it may not be 2023? It may be 2024 because the signatures don't expire. And I I point blank said, because you can't raise money off saying it may be 2024. Everyone's got to have the short-term short-sightedness of the urgency is now, even though it may not happen. Let's just be honest with one another and say it may happen in 2023, but it is a big uphill battle that they're willing to try and climb, but it's going to be tough for them to get there. And if they get there, then let's just defeat them at the ballot. And, and, and of course, defeat them at the ballot and defeat them in the general election and not defeat them. And furthermore, you and I are in position at the American Policy Roundtable as saying for a long time, no constitutional amendment should come up in anything other than an even-yeared election where voter turnout is going to be significant because the Constitution is our most important document in this state after the Declaration of Independence and our state constitution and our federal constitution. You don't mess with this stuff. And you don't you just it, – it, uh, I could go on and on, Rob. <laughs> it's a bad idea. Now, understand there's one other point about this that's going to haunt everybody when you think about it a little longer because Bob's got a very smart listening audience. If pro-lifers do not believe they can win the, 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 the minds and hearts of people for life, that they can't win a 51% majority in Ohio in hearts and minds, that only 40% of, the, of, of people would support life, we've got a bigger problem than a signature campaign. We've got a much bigger problem. We have to win the public debate for life. And if we've lost it so badly over the last 50 years, we better not try to cheat our way there. We're going to have to win this the hard way, the old-fashioned way. And the last thing you want, if you're at 40% support, is to, is, is to end up in a scenario where the other side could capture the Constitution by a default, like we're looking at right now with this bad language that's there, and then you've got to get 60%. You may have lengthened the curve on eliminating abortion in Ohio by 20 years. So what I've if done— think it through— what I've done at aproundtable.org is I've put up our testimony that we submitted um, to the committee in December in regards to the 60% proposal. So people can go through and read that testimony that we put. Um, this is when it was HJR 6. Now, obviously, it's changed. The, the legislature is currently on sp- spring break. So um, the thought of this getting done in the next couple of weeks and getting to August is going to be tough. You know, you probably heard me ran a little bit about the fact of I wish lawmakers wouldn't think they were in the entertainment business as well and send out tweets and send out things to argue and put out press releases to rile people up. And let's just get to work and do the right thing for all Ohioans. It, it seems like um, the politics of the day, whether we're talking about D.C. or the state capitol, has some people that want to be leads in a Netflix series, and that makes it hard to do government the right way. Yeah, uh, you're saying it better than I have. I just tell you, tell everyone to know the first time I met you, you were testifying before a a committee in the Ohio legislature. And uh, you and I have been working in the legislature ever since. You know what you're talking about. (laughs) That's hard to believe that I started at the American Policy Roundtable 20 years ago. I believe it was 20 years ago um, next month in April. You were were 12 years old. Yeah, 12 years old. The gray hair argues with that. Let's shift gears. to something that isn't easy to talk about, but is something we need to talk about. And we need to talk about what happened in Nashville. Um, the work we do at the American Policy Roundtable also 
touches deeply in Middle Tennessee, and we spend a lot of time there. Um, you particularly have been in that school, in that church, uh, where the tragedy happened on Monday. Can you talk to us about what's happening on the ground in Middle Tennessee this week? Well, this this, this has torn the heart of the folks of Middle Tennessee. It, it you would the last place you would expect to see the tip of the spear of persecution against innocent Christians would have been on that hill where Covenant Presbyterian Church and School said it's such a beautiful property, old stone buildings, beautiful flowering trees right now. It's as, it's as pretty a scene as you could see. Watching the footage is tearing everybody's heart out because we've all been there. We've spoken from that church. We've hosted events in that church. I stood in that very same parking lot with people who listen to the public square radio broadcast every week. And, and and it is heartbreaking. Uh, it, it, it's well, it, that's a that's a fact, and it, people are torn up about it. The other thing I need to uh, say very honestly that this is revealed is we've all, as Christian people, known that persecution has been a part of the faith since the beginning. We understand that, and and uh, we talk about it a lot. People, I, I have always thought of persecution in the Roman model, the idea that the government versus the church. I hadn't really stopped to think, or, or a, a, a competitive religion like Islam against the Church, that sort of thing. I never imagined that American citizens would find an agenda that was so overwhelming to them that they would murder innocent men, women, and children. Their fellow citizens murdered them because of their rage over their agenda. And that's what we have in the Nashville shooting. And that's what the trans... I think we... Fear of vengeance. I think we lost you, so, Dave. I think I think we lost you for a moment. You got us? Yep, I do. All right, so, yep, we um, got you. I, the irony that the trans day of vengeance was canceled because the trans community is afraid of vengeance. Well, maybe the idea is stop talking about guns and killing your enemies, and you might find that people are willing to at least give you the right to be heard. And certainly in this country, you do not, that the notion of there being a genocide against people based on their sexuality is an absurd notion from people who've lost touch with reality. And what happened in Nashville is indicative of when you lose, lose touch with reality, then, then people get hurt. And, and I also think... It's an instance where, and we've seen legislation all across the country on different things, where it, again, becomes emotional. The media blows it out of proportion and talks about things that aren't factual or aren't in the law. Listen, I'm the first to admit, sometimes it's boring to talk about law and policy, but we have to do it. We have to make it unboring and be willing to study and look at the words because the words matter. And when you have... A media that screams, well, this bill says you can't, don't say gay. Well, that, no, it doesn't. It's not even close to saying that. But that's what it is referred to and how it is referred. You talk about Save Women's Sports Act. You can talk about all these different things that the media amplifies and plays upon emotion and basically tells people they're coming for you. No, no one's coming for you. It, you're, there's talking about protecting the innocence of children. I, I read some of the language you and I have shared via email, and I thought, you know, when it talks about the doctors doing those things, if you change the word from medical professional to tattoo artist, I don't think anyone would be against it because they 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 would never want a child to, to make that decision for a tattoo. 
but they think the child's able to make those other decisions. I mean, that that just boggles my mind. And that's a height of irony as well, Rob. We have said from the beginning that if we want to have an argument about human sexuality and privacy and the right of practice, that's a fair legal argument, and cultures and societies have those discussions and argue about it, and they reach resolution. Our goal has always been leave the kids out of it. And it seems that the LGBTQ community cannot abide by the notion of letting humans live to the point in which they pass through puberty and they have the moral agency to make decisions for themselves. Even though they're very young, they're at least making their own decision. And this is, this is such a huge arena. And you say, well, per- parents should have the right to make that decision. Okay, I get that. But come on, let's, let's be genuine. You won't take that argument through everything. You won't take that argument at all through abortion or anything else. We should per- let the kids alone. Leave the kids out of the fight. Leave the kids away because you can propagandize them. They can be, they, it, it, it's, it's just, you got to leave the kids out. That's what we've been saying from the beginning. You want to have an adult conversation about adult choices that people who already are adults, that's one thing. But you've got, common sense says, leave the children, uh, let the kids live. Let them live. Yeah, because we don't know the long-term effects. We, they, I mean, we've seen the studies. We've read the reports of how many people have come to regret the decision they, they made because they realized they weren't old enough to make that decision and they didn't have the mind share that they needed. There's a reason there's laws in place when it comes to tobacco and alcohol and why we don't let young kids drive. I mean, it, it just goes on and on. I think you said it best when you said common sense. So um, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Uh, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot since I'm the host. Where, where, where can the listeners find out more? about the work of the Roundtable and Dave Zanotti and what's happening. Well, I hope they'll visit us at thepublicsquare.com where they can always listen to our long-format programming, Christmas in America, and other things that Bob France supports, and we appreciate his support. Or you can visit us at aproundtable.org. Either site works. Dave, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rod. All right, talk to you soon. See you. That was Dave Zanotti, CEO of the American Policy Roundtable. One more segment. After the break, your calls, 216-901-0945. You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Right Radio with Bob France and the answer. Final segment of the week. Huge thanks to Marianne and Josh for holding it down on the other side of the glass, making my life easy. One more segment to go. Big plans for the weekend. Anyone? Big plans for the weekend? No. A lot of head shakes. No big plans for the weekend. All right. All right. 
It's not wedding season yet. Fish fish fry season. Um, that will take place, I'm sure, somewhere. But 216-901-0945 if you want to get a thought in in this last segment of the week. I know, um, you know, Dave mentioned the work that we do at the American Policy Roundtable and the Public Square. I would encourage folks later today, you can visit thepublicsquare.com. Actually, you can visit now and listen to any of our broadcasts. But later today, there will be a show posted that we do an interview with Ted Scott. Next week is Masters Week, and Ted Scott is the caddy for the number one player in the world, Scotty Shuffler. And Teddy just does a great job telling stories, um, sharing his faith, so many different insights and looks to the world of the professional golf. So it'll kind of take a break from the political realm, if you will, but I think it's one that sports fans will enjoy. So thepublicsquare.com. In this last segment, we are going to go to the phone lines. We're going to go to line number two. We're going to go to um, Tim in Medina. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Rob. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. It says on my call screen that that you wanted to talk about Donald Trump. Did you have a thought about Donald Trump and what's happening? I I do, and I'd love to get your opinion on this and your thoughts. Uh, A lot of what I've been hearing is even the biggest Donald Trump hater, right, is saying that because of this indictment, his popularity, his support will continue to grow and will grow at very large numbers. So I just really wanted to hear what your thoughts were, if you think that'll (laughs) be true. Um, I've been hearing polling numbers that six out of 10 Americans don't want him to run. um, But he's while he'll lose to um, Biden, he's still getting more support than DeSantis. So just love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, no, thanks for the call. I think the left needs Donald Trump. As I said earlier in the show, they need him and they want people to rally around him. And I think people are going to rally around him because it's one thing we do as Americans is if we feel there's an injustice being done, we want to stick up for that injustice. We want to stick up for that person. So I think people are going to rally around him. I know, you know, last night I didn't see it, but I've had multiple people text me and talk to me about it. Jason Whitlock was on Tucker Carlson. And I think Whitlock admitted he wasn't proud of the fact, but he admitted that, I, I believe he admitted, I should say, that he has not voted before, but he will be voting in 2024, and he will be voting for Donald Trump. And he's going to rally around him. So I think you're going to see support galvanized because you have people on the far left. The legal experts I'm reading, they know darn well that he's not going to be convicted of probably anything. They know, I mean, the federal authorities looked at these charges and they took a pass, but the local DA is going to pick it up. I mean, what's he trying to do? Advance his political career? So I think, I think that's what you're going to see in play and you're going to see more people around. And listen, if there's anyone, if there's anyone that's going to take chance of any and every opportunity for publicity or to raise funds, it's going to be Donald J. Trump. So I'm sure the emails went out this morning. I'm sure they're going to go out tonight. I'm sure the calls are being made. Uh, he's going to raise money and make money off this uh, for his campaign and his future run as well. So, Tim, thanks for the call. We're going to go to line one. We're going to go to Ann in Westlake. Good morning, Ann. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Go ahead. Thanks for the call. All right. Uh, you had an earlier caller who indicated that he felt Trump's priorities were Trump first and then the country. And I just wanted to 
talk about that. Um, Trump has a personality that is arrogant. It's like he's looking down on people, and it turns people off. I have a very good friend. I voted for Trump, by the way, and I probably would again. I have a very good friend who asked me, why would you ever vote for Trump? And I said, because I don't want abortion. I don't want socialism. I don't want the country controlling my life. I don't believe in defunding the police. And she said, neither do I, but I can't stand Trump. And she voted for Biden. Yeah. So what I'm saying is there are a lot of people out there who aren't paying attention to the radio shows. They're not paying attention to the politics. All they're looking is seeing this very unlikable man. And he's got to change that image. Um, if he would come out and say, I believe I am the most qualified candidate. I want your support. However, you know, my record speaks for itself. However, if the party chooses another candidate, I will support him. That's what well, he needs to say. Because right now, he's the one who's dividing the party and making it possible for the for the Democrats to win next time. Well, well Ann, thank you for the call. I, I agree that the Democrats want him to be the candidate because right now they think that's the candidate they can be. They can beat. So they need him to be the candidate. As for getting him to say he's going to support whoever the nominee would be, I, I don't, I personally don't see that happening. I don't see Donald Trump putting country above himself. Um, I, I just don't see it. I haven't seen it. Um, I know someone put out the clip a couple days ago of all the great things he said about Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks when he was in office. And had anyone else said those things, Donald Trump would be using the commercial against them um, for all the credit he was giving them for all the work that they were doing. So I just don't see Donald Trump stepping aside gracefully. And the reason I don't see that is because he hasn't done it at any point in his life. I haven't seen that. I believe, I believe he's apologized for one thing and I could be wrong here. I could be off, but the one thing that I remember him apologizing for, I believe is when he insulted Ted Cruz's wife. I want to say that was the only time that I've heard him kind of recognized that he was wrong. Um, I'm not sure, you know, his methodology of never apologizing, um, that's the way, that's his MO. That's how he operates. You know, I'm someone that has to ask for, uh, I apologize a lot because I need a lot of grace because I make a ton of mistakes every single day. I'm always the biggest sinner in the room. But I think with him, for those thinking that he's going to get all the way, remember, he was asked, I believe it was Megyn Kelly. The debate was right here in Northeast Ohio. It was in Cleveland, downtown Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse or whatever it was called that week. It was held in August of 2015, the first presidential debate. And they asked everybody if they would support whoever the nominee was. And I believe it was Donald Trump who was the only one who wouldn't give a guarantee that he wouldn't disrupt the process if he wasn't the nominee. So the thought that he was going to be um, that type of unifying agent that brings everyone together at the end of the day, I just don't see it happening. I see him as the guy that if he's not the nominee, he's going to end up trying to burn the force down. And the only way he's not going to be the nominee, well, I shouldn't say only way. I don't want to speak in absolute. But there's a much higher likelihood that he is the nominee 
if there's a bunch of people that decide they're going to run for president of the United States in the Republican primary because he's going to get 30, 35% of the vote. But if it's a 1v1 and he's got to beat Ron DeSantis one-on-one or he's got to beat Glenn Youngkin one-on-one, it's going to be a much tougher challenge. Much tougher challenge. So we're seeing, and remember, folks, this is a chess game. It's not checkers. This is about getting to 270 electoral college votes. That's what this is about. 270 electoral college votes to win the presidency. You're going to have to look at primaries. You're going to have to look at primary dates, what states they take place in. Hey, thanks to Bob France. Thanks to Josh, Marianne for helping me out. Remember, be not overcome by evil. Overcome evil by doing good. Let's go, Brandon. Join legendary host John B. Wells live on Arc Midnight, Saturday nights at 10.